Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives If you're like me or seemingly like everybody in the running community right now You have Boston Marathon fever, right? This is coming out the day before, the night before the Boston Marathon. I'm so excited for everybody who's going to be starting off in Hopkinton, finishing downtown, and uh, just the energy around this event. I'll tell you what, it's been a while. Obviously, we had the the fall version of this race uh, several months ago, but... Seeing the energy surrounding Boston this weekend is a, is a magical thing. I wish I was there. I'm not going to lie. In any capacity, I wish I was there because it's a, it really is something to behold. Uh, again, looking at it from afar. So if you're there, congratulations. And if you're listening to this, even while you're running, you could be listening to this while you're running the Boston Marathon. If so, kudos to you for being there. And I think that you're going to love this episode. We are with John Rizzo. This man is absolutely amazing. He is a super strong guy who has done a lot of things in his life. And, you know, he's run ultra, he'd run ultra marathons. He had been in the military. He's a big, strong guy. And then little did he know that he had a little ticking time bomb going on in his body. And he was training for another big race. And all of a sudden, he couldn't use his legs. They just failed him. And all of a sudden, the rest of his body almost failed him as well. He needed life-saving surgeries. And the story of John Rizzo is truly remarkable. Skip to the end, almost a year later, 18 months later, actually, from his original issue. And, you know, a year later from a life-saving surgery, he finishes third at the Naked Prussian 50-miler. And there's more to come. I mean, this guy, my goodness, this is just an absolutely incredible story. And I could not wait to get John on the the podcast. And I'm so glad I did, because as you'll hear in a second, it is truly, and he is truly remarkable. So let's get into it with John Rizzo. All right, we are here with John Rizzo, fresh off third place at the Naked Prussian 50 Mile. John, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's it's you know I I'm I'm really glad that you know my wife you know made the connection with you and 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 we're able to be you know I'm able to talk about my story a little bit. Yeah, you guys are quite the running couple. I mean, she's getting ready in, in three or four days. She's going to be up and running Boston. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's another crack at Boston. I think this is her third time. Um, you know, I'm always excited. I love the energy, you know, of, of that town when you get to when you get to go there, like Boston Marathon weekend. And, you know, it's back when it's supposed to be. And I think that's one of the biggest thing, you know, everyone's happy about. She she ran it um, last fall. You know, actually, it was funny. It ended up getting delayed. So she ran Chicago and Boston, you know, or not. I'm sorry, Berlin and Boston back to back. Ended up getting a better time at Boston than Berlin, which, you know, was was pretty crazy nice nice little warm-up jog in germany she ran it after yeah so maybe she should be doing ultra marathons that's what i was telling her but you know i i think she's sticking the road right now so well there isn't this huge i mean you know this better than me but there doesn't seem to be a huge gap between like a 50k on trails and a in a marathon on roads in terms of what it does to your legs yeah and there's a uh, you know there's there's a disparity you know kind of in you know what 
or, or there's a I, not a disparity, I should say variables. So like, you know, is it a road 50K? Is it trail? How much elevation is there? You know, that's why the whole trail scene gets really weird. Like, I don't even feel like you could standardize a time. It's not like a marathon where you go, hey, what's your marathon PR? Because like, uh, you know, you go, oh, what's a 50K PR? Well, like I could have ran like a road 50K or a mountain 50K. And it's like, um, but, and and I would say, so like, you know, the the road marathon, um, having random, you know, that's, that's a hard event. It really is considering the, the output that you're doing for that mileage. Like that is one of the most mentally taxing events, which is funny to say coming from, you know, fresh off a 50 miler, a 50 miler, just because like, you know, it, it, I like to say it's like, okay, an ultra marathon hurts like this much for this long and a marathon hurts for this much for this long, you know? So, uh, you know. It's kind of a funny, funny paradigm there. Absolutely. And I've heard it from several ultra runners over the time, not just to me, but, you know, listening to them on other podcasts or even even certain books that I've read of, of ultra marathoners who talk about having that road marathon experience where you're out there, if you're really trying to crush the, the time, you know, and kind of get the, the time that equates to their fitness level, that you know, it's, it's a, it can be a grueling thing running that for that long on pavement, especially if you're more geared towards uh, the trails and kind of used to that, used to that surface. And it's funny, I was, I was actually reading one of the books, I think it was um, Michael Crowley's book. Um, he was out in Ethiopia about how like th those runners oftentimes, especially people who were based out of Addis Ababa, they only run on pavement once a week. And that's only like in the throes of marathon training. They're on trails all the time just because they want to stay fresh and they want the diversity of training that goes along with that and, and so on and so forth. And it's so interesting to see the the fresh variations on different ways that people approach this and how certain things can be put in certain buckets, but there is a lot of fluidity uh, depending on where you're coming from. Yeah. And it's, it, the, the whole road scene is really, it is interesting. Like you said, like you have folks, you know, I, you know, for, for a guy in my, you know, age to get a, to, to actually be able to run Boston, you know, the, the being able to attain that time, it, it is, it, it's a lot. I mean, and like the margin of error is horrendously small. Like if you have a hiccup in one or two miles or you have slow miles, I mean, it's really unreal. It's, it's kind of crazy to think that even over the course of 26 miles, it's pretty unrealistic to be able to make up time. Like, especially if you, you're in such a tight, you know, confine, but, um, kind of going back to your point about the, the surfaces, I, I, I even like noticed that with me, like I would almost prefer to do way more mileage on dirt versus like half the mileage on road. Cause it, um, you know, the, the soft surface thing is, is very real, especially me. I like to say I'm a Clydesdale, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty heavy in the realm of runners. Like I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. So, um, you know, I really feel the impact if I do a really, you know, some of my long runs for my buildup, um, for my last race, I did some of them on pure pavement. And I, I tell the, I, I know the difference immediately, even while I'm running, I could feel it. You just feel it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's no question about it. I mean, you can even do that mid run, right? Like there's like, there's a bike path near us where there's like a horse trail along four to six miles of it. So it's like right next to the bike path, which is pavement. And you can just hop right onto it and just start cruising. And like, you hop back, you notice it right away. Like you really have to start babying your legs a little bit and you shorter chop your steps. And it's really interesting. But hey, here you are, you get third 
in this you know 50 mile race. I know you have big things ahead in terms of what you want to do the rest of this year. And I can't wait to talk about that. With that said, we can't talk about the future without talking about the past because a year ago from this weekend, you were in a completely different spot. So I'm going to ask you to go on a little bit of a monologue here. So can you tell the people what your health issues were a year, year and a half ago? Because it's not like, hey, you got this 50 miler, you know, third place podium finish. And it was just off a string of five to 10 years of consistent running because you had quite the uh, quite the, uh, you know, medical issue here. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll kind of start from the beginning. So um, I would say, so last year was what, 21 and the year before that was 20, right? So <laughs> I'm doing that all the time, John. I'm doing it all the time. Oh, yeah. I feel like Especially I'm like the lost years. Yeah. I, I don't know what day of the week is it? No, I'm kidding. Um, so the, at the end of, uh, or, or about mid 2020 going into the fall, I, uh, my wife works with, um, a fantastic coach, uh, Matt Yano at a Flagstaff. Um, he's, um, he, he's a wonderful very, very smart, funny, you know, great guy, um, really great coaching service. And, you know, him and I were talking when, when my wife and I were up in flag and, you know, I was talking about how I wanted, you know, to go, to go to Boston and get a PQ or BQ and be able to actually, you know, get a time that allows me to run. Cause we know now that a BQ is a lot different than a time that, you know, uh, actually allows you to run in the race. Um, but, uh, you know, so we, we developed a training plan. I started getting into it. Uh, you know, I, I was in pretty good fitness at that point. Um, and, uh, everything was going great. We started off, you know, training for a 5k, you know, get a lot of speed in, um, you know, cause I haven't raced in a while. So like, let's start with a 5k, then build up to the half, but let's, let's, let's start building some speed and some base mileage. And, you know, everything was going great. I was, I was really hitting some fast paces, big workouts. I felt really good. Um, and I go to this 5k and, you know, I, I, I was going into it in really good shape. I, I felt really good. Um, you just know when you come off a good training block and I'm sure tons of people who are listening could, could relate to this. I mean, you, you just know when you've done everything you're supposed to do. And, you know, I, I go into this workout or sorry, this race and it starts and you know, after about mile one, you know, I'm pushing it really fast. And like, I just feel like my, my, my legs aren't working, you know, I'm looking at my watch. It's not making sense. These are, you know, paces I've, I've ran way faster than this in workouts. And I'm like, what is going on with my body? Like I did everything perfect, all the prep work, everything, you know, warm up, you know, everything I was supposed to do. And, you know, I, I finished and, and my time was okay. Um, definitely not my goal. Um, I, I would say like at that point, you know, I always set, you know, A, B and C goals, you know, for me. And, uh, you know, just to kind of break that down, A is like, you know, your, your absolute, you know, goal going into it. B is like, okay, what are you going to be content with? And C is like, if everything explodes, at least you could accomplish something. So C is usually like, don't die or like finish the race. Those are like, you know, usually where C is depending on the day. Um, so it was like, it was like a B goal time. And, um, you know, it, it didn't make sense. So like my fitness going into that race, all the preparatory steps I took, all the training I did, it just, what I put into it didn't match what I got out of it. So, um, I talked to Matt and we kind of came up with, you know, he, you know, he, he was thinking maybe just my legs were tired. I had some big, you know, really meaty workouts that maybe I just need to scale it back. Um, 
and and we kind of made a plan uh so you know scaled it back a little bit started to feel fresh again you know picked up training and this leads us to about the beginning of november 2020 and I go for, you know, I'm going for a regular, you know, it's not a workout day, nothing crazy. I'm running, you know, you know, just, just my easy pace and I'm running. And all of a sudden I can't, I don't even never do a good job of explaining this, but like my legs just, they stop working like just flat out. I, I, you know, I, I couldn't run, I couldn't walk. Um, it's, it's like I was trying to move my legs. It was the weirdest feeling. It was, it, you know, my legs kind of stopped and I'm standing there and I can't pick them up. I can't shake them around. Um, now, you've been in the military at this point. You've run ultras at this point. Had you experienced anything like this before, maybe just in different circumstances? So kind of. Um, and that's what, you know, as I go through this story, I think it's, uh, you know, it'll, it'll make a little bit more sense then like I'll, I'll kind of make the connection I won't cut you here. off again. You did. <laughs> no, no. Cause I'm glad you brought that up. Cause this was something I've been thinking about, you know, and it was actually kind of instigated by this podcast, you know, you asking me to come on here. Cause I really started, cause I honestly, I, I, I don't think I've ever taken the time to really reflect on it a lot myself. Um, you know, and as I started to do that, I really started, I think, to understand the situation a little bit more. Um, but anyway, uh, so I'm standing there. My legs aren't working, right? Um, I've never felt something to this degree before. So to, to kind of answer your question, the appetizer, if you will. Um, <laughs> and uh, then, you know, slowly I got a little bit of feeling and I'm, and I'm walking and I, you know, I immediately, I call my wife, I'm like, something, something's up. You, you have to pick me up. And, 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 you know, we were talking, I'm like, I'm going to try and walk it off, you know, maybe just try to walk it off, try and jog. So, um, you know, I walked for a little bit and, you know, I eventually cut my run short and I kind of just walked back. Um, but any, anytime I, I really tried to pick up the pace, the feeling came back. Um, and after I finished the run and I, you know, I got back home and then my body wasn't moving for a little bit, I had this excruciating pain set in. Um, you know, I, I felt like I absolutely couldn't bend over at all. Um, any position where my torso was, you know, kind of like a seated position, it was extremely painful. If I tried to squat down, um, it felt like someone like poured gas on my legs and set it on fire. Just terrible pain shooting up and down my legs. So both and, legs. Yeah. So both legs. And that's why, you know, I rarely am like willing to go to a doctor, but I told my wife, I'm like, you know, make an appointment. So, uh, Cause you know, you know how it goes, you go on, you go on, you know, WebMD or something and every single thing you look up says you're dying. So I'm like, okay, this isn't helpful. Um, so we go to the doctor and, and is a sports medicine doctor. Um, and he was thinking, you know, at a high level, I think they did a, a quick x-ray, um, of, you know, my pelvic region trying to see if there was, you know, really something out of alignment, but, you know, he was, he surmised basically at the end of that appointment that it could possibly be a herniated disc or a slip disc. Yeah. Um, doing something with, with my nerves and, and whatnot. So we entertain that, you know, he prescribed doing physical therapy. So throughout the course of November and December, 
you know, I, I'm going to these PT appointments, but like, mind you, I can barely make it up the steps. I can't walk a block. You know, I can't, you know, I can't do any of these things. It's extremely limiting, uh, you know, extremely painful and a total change in, in my lifestyle. Um, so this goes on for a while and, and, you know, over, uh, we hit the holidays and over new years, um, you know, we go to the Carolinas and, and the whole time, you know, we went to a Hilton head Island and, you know, my wife's going on these beautiful runs, you know, uh, amongst the live oak trees. And like, I love the forest down there. Um, you know, I'm a tree guy. So like, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I was jealous and she was going out and doing these cool runs. And, you know, I, 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 I was probably the most miserable person on that island. I, I would have <laughs> I can to be imagine. honest. I, I, I was pretty poo-poo face, but like I, I had to get away. You know, I was trying to do anything to to get my mind off, you know, the pain and, you know, but over this course of time, like from when it onset to like New Year's time, I, I was doing walks. I was trying to stretch as much as I can. I was doing the PT and I felt like I was getting mildly better you know, just a little, or I was just getting used to the pain. It was one of the two. So I was thinking now, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting better. The, the herniated disc is good, is good to go away and, and I'll get back to running. And the reason I say that, so that this mindset starts setting in and because when I get back, I was supposed to have an MRI. And, uh, I kept talking to my wife, Jamie, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to skip this. I'm, I'm not going to go to this MRI. Like I don't, I don't need this. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, you know, the, the appointment day came up and, and she, she really like convinced me. She's like, just go. Um, you know, I was like, okay. And, you know, I go and I get the MRI. So they stuffed me in this, you know, it's funny. I, I think she actually like, she's, she's like my quasi mom because like she books all these appointments. Right. And, and she, uh, she, she, I guess MRI machines come in different sizes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And she booked me a machine that was like way too small for me. I guess there was like some sort of input you could give or, or whatever, or I guess you're supposed to do that. I don't know. But point being, you know, I, I get there and they, they stuff me, you know, an MRI machine's already terrible, but this one's like, I barely fit into it. So like, you know, you're like, you're like a sausage link. Yeah. I'm stuffed (laughs) in this machine. And if anyone's been in an MRI machine, it's like the worst, you know, it's one of the old ones. It's not the, you know, the really nice, like open ones. It gets really hot. And, you know, I had a mask on, for COVID and I had, they have headsets on and, you know, she's going to play music. And, uh, I guess you could choose any kind of genre. And, and she like, she puts on like death metal. Like, I don't know if it was just the look I have or, or what, but so I'm stuffed in this tube. There's, there's blasting death metal in my ear. The machine's going like, uh, 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 it's like another it's like, instrument in death metal. It's like 80 degrees in there. It's like, I, that was, that was, that was terrible in of itself. But anyway, uh, I leave the appointment and, you know, immediately after I leave the appointment, I get a phone call from, from the doctor's office. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Um, so the radiology doctor looked at my scan and he said, uh, it looks like my vena cava, like the biggest vein, you know, in your body that kind of goes up parallel to the aorta is, is there's something in it. 
And, you know, it, it looks like, you know, there's, there's a piece in there that could go and embolize and like, you need to go to the ER right now. And, you know, I, I, I talked to my wife, I'm like, Oh, I I guess, I guess I have to go to the ER. So, um, we go to our, the emergency room in our town. So we live in Phoenixville, um, Pennsylvania, which is about 45 minutes from Philadelphia. Um, and it's a pretty, it's a decent hospital, but so they check me in and, um, uh, I had a wonderful doctor there, Dr. Flanagan. He, uh, he came from Penn medicine, which is a pretty nationally renowned, you know, college in terms of, you know, uh, what they do for cancer treatment and venous, you know, technology, you know, um, they're one of the bigger institutes I'd say nationally. And he was a really, he came off the Penn medical train and was working for this hospital. So I want to put that out there that, you know, I was blessed you know, to have him. And, you know, he, you know, they run all these tests and, and he, he comes in and, and he says, you know, you're, you're, I don't even know if you're functioning right now. Like your, your vena cava is completely blocked. It's completely blocked hundred percent. And there's essentially like what my body has been doing to compensate for my blocked vena cava is, you know, all these, my body developed like all these little crazy veins that go around it and you know veins that are normally the size of a pencil tip or like the size of a quarter and some of those veins like went took these crazy pathways so you know you imagine the blood goes through your body goes down your legs uh, via the arteries and then the return you know goes up the iliacs in the legs and then goes to the vena cava you know so all this blood was coming up my legs from my whole body and then it was hitting this roadblock and it was turning around and going through this crazy network of veins most of which went under my groin and up my back so i guess what had happened is finally you know these veins were compensating so much and got grew to such a size that they were now compressing on the 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 nerve bundles i guess along my spine and that's what was causing the the excruciating pain in my legs like not being able to work and, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, and this whole time, you know, my wife isn't able to come into the hospital, mind you, uh, cause it's COVID. And, you know, so all she knows is that, you know, I was, went to the, went to the emergency room, you know, and this is, I think, you know, day two or something at this point. They're like, get to the hospital immediately. And she's like, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. So, I, you know, I kind of filled her in because basically this doctor, Dr. Flanagan was saying, I I think the best approach is to let me go down, you know, your jugular vein and let's see what we're dealing with. And he said, I'm going to try and remove the blockage. And at the very least, if I can't do that, then, you know, I could get a sample from it. Um, so that's the approach we took. And, uh, I, of course, like I, I was in the military and I was, I was a medic. So like, I was kind of like really into this. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Except it's your body. (laughs) Yeah. Except it's my body, which I guess like I should have in retrospect been a little more concerned, but, um, you know, I asked him, I'm like, Hey, Hey, could you, could you kind of keep me like, you know, like drug me. Right. But like drug me to the point where like, I'm still with it. So like, and he's like looking at me like I'm insane. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, you know, and, and do you have like a monitor I could watch or something? So they bring in this extra monitor oh and I'm God. laying on this table. This is, this is so funny. And, you know, they start doing their thing and, and, and they get, make an incision. They go, they go down, uh, 
down my jugular and make their way to the vena cava. And I'm able to watch this on a screen. Like this te technology was crazy. Um, and you could see the, whatever tool they were using, they, they reached the, you know, it, it looked like a dark, real dark mass, you know, in this, in this clear tube and he reaches it. And I could see him like trying to, to like pluck at it and, you know, kind of remove pieces of it. And it was like solid, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't do anything with it. And he immediately knew he was like this, you know, I, we don't know what we're dealing with here. So, um, he, uh, he was able to take, I think a tiny sample off it finally. And, you know, then, then he stitched me back up. So we're in the emergency room you know, I, I go back to my room and I think another day elapses and, you know, th this whole time they have me on uh, a lot of blood thinners. So, um, you know, I could kind of feel, you know, things like, you know, uh, cause I guess there were, there were smaller clots in some other areas that were, that were kind of clearing up periodically and stuff like that. But the whole point of it was that he wanted to make sure I was stable. Um, because this was going to be a long road because he, he basically said, you know, the, the biggest concern here is if you have a tumor, you know, in, in your vein, because uh, we obviously don't want to try and force our way through that and then, you know, get, get you know, uh, any kind of malicious type of material like all throughout your body. Like we need to be careful about the approach here. And he because of his connections, he knew some 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 people in the industry and he knew of. Um, you know, my, my doctor from, uh, Jefferson who ended up, you know, taking over my case, but essentially he said that this hospital, like we don't have the technology here, you know, I, uh, Jefferson has some other tools. They have some tools that I could like core through it. Um, you know, so regardless, you're not going to get the final resolution here, you know, but you've been here a few days, you're on heavy blood thinners, you know, you're relatively stable. So there's no difference in you doing the same regimen here or doing it at your house. Um, so I had the opportunity to be released, which was good. Um, you know, went home and then, you know, this is where kind of the road started with all the, with, with all these, these crazy tests. So this whole time we, we, I had to get every test under the sun to try and like, okay, what is this thing in me? You know? Um, uh, so I had, you know, CT scans, I had um, more MRIs, I had, you know, any colonoscopy, endoscopy, um, you know, all kinds of cra crazy tests uh, to try and figure out what this thing was. And, and time after time, it was like, okay, you know, we're good. It's, it's not, you know, this type of cancer, it's not this type of cancer and whatever. So every time it was like a sigh of relief, it was like a buildup of nervousness, then a sigh of relief, buildup of nervous, you know, um, kind of like this, this crazy cycle. I was getting all these blood tests. I, you know, every other day I was going and getting some sort of well, test. I have to ask that you're going through all these things. They keep saying, well, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. And obviously you're not going, you're not rooting for a positive, but on some level, the like indecisiveness of it must've been driving you nuts. Right. Uh, so I think at that point it, it, you know, I'm going through this process of testing for months, you know, it, it was months of just this testing and mind you this whole time, I, I, I'm still not moving, you know, my, my lifestyle has been completely interrupted. I'm in the same spot, 
except now I'm on such heavy blood thinners that every time I stand up, I almost fall over. So it's like, you know, I, oh, cause you get, I was, light, you get lightheaded. Is that the, yeah, you get yeah. lightheaded. I was pretty much like, you know, I lost all my appetite. I was pretty much like st- stuck in the house and, you know, and this is all during COVID too. So it's like, it, you're, you're doubly concerned. Cause you're like, I don't even know what I have. Apparently I have something bad, but I definitely don't want to find out what COVID does to it. So, you know, I'm being extra cautious and, uh, eventually it gets to the point where we've ruled out so many things, you know, I was working with, with the team at Jefferson and, you know, they eventually made the call that uh, we're pretty confident it's not cancer or a tumor. We don't know what it is. You know, maybe it's just really old clotting buildup of scar tissue. Um, point being like, let's, let's clear it out. So the proposal there was, you know, a surgery where they would use like this, this coring device, um, to basically go down and, and, uh, pull like an apple core out of, out of this big clot. This clot was like a few inches in, in size. Um, it was really big. Yeah. It was a few inches in size. Um, they, they, they gave it to me in centimeters for some odd reason. No one actually knows like what centimeters are. So I'm, I'm envisioning like a roll of quarters. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's, it's essentially, um, Oh my God. So, uh, that was the plan. You know, we talked about they'll go in, they'll take this core sample and to really rule out anything, you know, they'll you're, take this you're core an sample. So you, you're someone who deals like in the physical world. Did you ever think you would ha- hear the words, we're going to take a core sample, but they're talking about your freaking body, not like, you know, we're not talking about strip mining here. <laughs> this, is yeah. like your, this is your leg. Yeah. So, so like me as an arborist, like I take core samples of trees. Right. So it's like, oh, no, I'm getting core sampled. This is cool. Um, well, that's what I said, too. Like, I'm kind of like a science geek. So this is like this is all like so interesting to me, but like terrifying at the same time. Like, can, can you can you check the rings in the clot to see how long it's been in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> I like that. Uh, um, so. So here, like after they had this core, right, um, they were going to send it to pathology um, to rule out cancer right away, you know, while I'm under. So they like had this expedited plan to keep me under, do this testing. And then if that was clear, then they can continue essentially clearing up that entire pathway and getting me, you know, right as rain again and stents and stuff like that. So. The first week of April was when the surgery was scheduled. And, uh, you know, it, what, what I think made it extra terrible was I got my, my booster shot for COVID like the day before. And so like already when I woke up, I felt terrible. You know, I felt terrible to the point where like, these people aren't even going to let me in the hospital. I look like a total mess. Like I, I look terrible, but, um, yeah, I told them I had I had the shot. It wasn't a problem. I got in. They prepped me for surgery and 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 uh, you know, uh, they knocked me out and I woke up. You know, I woke up and and you know, all my joints were incredibly stiff because I guess of the way I was hanging off the table because unbeknownst to me, the surgery took uh, a little over 8 hours. Um and it ended up being a much more complicated affair than they had originally thought. So they came in and it was really hard to find 
the proper network because that vena cava is like in my in my you know in my chest or around kind of like your navel um it's you know those iliacs come up from the legs and they meet there and and that juncture was all messed up like all these veins were going ways they weren't supposed to be doing going and you know the, the i think the hard part for them was trying to pick the correct veins to like stent and establish because like stuff that should be big shrunk and stuff that shouldn't be big is gigantic so it's like you know um they had to do all this crazy stringing they went down both of my jugulars they went up my legs um sounds like you know, they just turned you inside out man they they yeah they had all these um i actually got to watch a time lapse of the surgery kind of like the same technology back in i can't uh, i'm gonna Hill pass out just thinking about this you're sitting there watching the replay <laughs> well it was it was really crazy because it's like an above x-ray view but you could see everything they're doing like all the wires and stuff trying to figure it out and like the different ways they tried and like you know it, it was it was really fascinating but they eventually were able to establish that corridor again you know the vena cava and the the iliacs and um they ended up putting in three stents so they put like a, a really large one in the vena cava and then they had like you know a connecting ones that came off that to you know kind of make that whole juncture um sound again and uh so when i woke up i i you know all my joints were like excruciatingly painful because they were hanging off this. This is like this really comically narrow table. I don't know why it was so narrow, but basically my I love arms how were this hanging. whole process, the, the common thread is that you can't get things to fit your size. No, I can't get And that's, you know, that's kind of like, that, that's kind of my problem, you know, always in the running world is that, you know, I'm, I'm bigger than what you would consider like a runner, you know. Um, but I'm hanging off this table that's that you know my, my arms are dangling down and so like because of that my 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 joints were all incredibly stiff so when i wake up i'm like screaming i'm like my joints hurt my joints like this that and the other thing they're like we didn't touch your arms like what are you what are you screaming about like nobody put it together because they're rolling me in the cart like to my room they're like well what, what what about your your arms? No nobody touched them. Um, so it's they like, ended that's up like, like the just, only thing they didn't touch. That's hysterical. Yeah. So so they pumped me, you know, back full of meds and and knocked me out because like I I was like in so much pain and that's all I remember in that little blip. And I wake back up and you know I'm I'm in the room, but it started this saga, you know, where I was then now stuck in the hospital, and you know given the duration of my surgery, you know, that, that's typically something, if someone has like a really tiny clot, it's like a one hour surgery and they're actually able, it's a, it's not even inpatient. They're able to leave the same day in most cases, but mine, I guess, because it was so extensive, you know, I had a lot of pain, you know, cause the stents were there now that I had to get used to but then also all these collateral veins were shrinking because they're not getting used anymore. So it was like this really weird, excruciating pain and so they had to keep me very heavily medicated um for a really long period of time and i you know it, so a few days elapse of you know the same story same story i'm in pain and i was on my back so much that <laughs> that my my lungs like actually one of my lungs started to collapse what? so like now I'm having this ridiculous you know like you know all the i just i remember i remember the exact morning i woke up and they kept trying to feel, I, I wasn't eating this whole time. I was just like drinking liquid. And I was, I was talking to the nurse there, like saying I didn't want food. And all of a sudden I couldn't breathe in. And I was like, 
great. You know, well, what's going on now? So like there was this big fran- frantic thing and I, I, I would be remiss to not mention my, my so, so the surgeon, the surgeon uh, that Dr. Flanagan referenced was named Dr. Winokur. I don't, I said Jefferson, but I didn't say the doctor's name. And, and he was absolutely wonderful. Talk about a wonderful doctor. Like this guy's like the direct, he was the only person at Jefferson who specialized, like the Ravenous Institute. He's, he's the only guy who was like comfortable doing my surgery. So let's put that out there. Like, that's when I knew, like I had stepped into some horse crap, right? Like the dude who like teaches at this college, he's like the director of the program is the only one doing my surgery. Um, but anyway, he, he rushes back in, you know, he would, this whole process leading up to the surgery, the testing, he was there at all the appointments. It wasn't some nurse. It was always Dr. Winter. And I thought that was like a, like I, I was blessed, like not only with Dr. Flanagan, but Dr. Having these doctors who like were very passionate about my case. Um, you know, it's something I, I really haven't encountered in the medical world. Like a lot of times you kind of get shoved off and I don't know if that was the severity of my case or just luck, but you know, I, I still, to this day, I was very fortunate to have those doctors. So he comes, you know, in and they're trying to figure out my claps long. So, um, you know, there's this whole process of a ventilator and like all these different things. And, you know, they eventually get me stable. They're able to sit me up. And I, th- I think this is like a day or two later and I'm breathing again. And like, you know, they have me doing that ridiculous, you know, ball contraption and, and, you know, I'm starting to get my whereabouts about me. I'm starting to feel a little bit better and I'm on the up and up now. And I'm, I'm very relieved. I'm like, okay, it seems like I'm finally, I have a pathway here where I get out of the hospital. And, um, it's, <laughs> it's funny. Cause like, I kind of expedited my exit because, so because of pain meds, pain meds like interrupt a lot of biological functions, namely like the ability to go to the bathroom. And um, so I started getting to the point where like they had to remedy that situation, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So, so there's this like hilarious process where now these nurses are coming in and it's like, it's like enema time and like, you know. So that whole thing was absolutely ridiculous. And I don't want to give too much detail on that. Please but don't. like there are Yeah. So like <laughs> so like moving on from that, like what actually expedited my exit was a catheter. Um I was out. Like I had one Talk or two about of those expediting I'm, exits. Jeez. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm out. And I swear, like, that's the method they use if they don't want a patient anymore. It's like, okay, we'll give this we'll see how sick this guy is. Um <laughs> But, uh, so they do the catheter, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, I, 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 there was this whole like PT process where you're supposed to get like blessed off on. So like day after day, what was keeping me in the hospital was I kept fainting every time I sat up. So the PT kept trying to work with me. I'd stand up and I would, my blood pressure would tank and I'd fall over. Um, and they were trying to get me to the point where I could like walk and go up and down stairs. And I tell you what, a day or two after that catheter, like my body was like, okay, it's time to heal time to get out of here. Cause that next morning I could walk, I could go, you know, up and down the steps slowly, you know, I'm, but I'm moving. And I would, they, they blessed off on me. They, you know, told me, you know, Hey, you could go home. So the only like post care that I had was, you know, I had those stomach shots. Uh, you had to have self-administered for blood thinners, um, for a while. I think it was like a 30 day, you know, two or three time a day type of thing where you stab yourself in the stomach with this needle. Um, 
And, but like, I was, I was so happy to be out of the hospital. I didn't even care. Like I, I, I would stab myself with whatever I would stab myself with like a, a crocodile Dundee knife. If it meant like I could stay home, um, instead of in the hospital. So I so, have to ask, all right. So at this point it's been six months since you've been active at all. Right. Right. You've been basically inactive completely for six months. So you're a guy who was, you know, at, at your maybe peak strength pers- perspective, you were like 240 pounds, all muscle, right? Then you kind of convert to running. You know, you're still big, strong guy. Then out, I lose a small child. We're really off my body. What, what was your body condition like at the end of that April? Basically, the end of what, a year ago. So, what, what what was your body like? So I was I was a lo- I was a lot thinner, um, muscle and fat. I I would say probably one of the the lightest weights that I've been. I don't recall the exact weight, but you could tell I was really gaunt. Um, you know, I, cause I didn't eat either like a lot, which is very atypical for me. Everyone who knows me knows I'm a, I'm a total pig. I'm kind of revolting, but <laughs> I'm like pint of Ben and Jerry's every night. But, uh, um, so like fitness wise, you know, well here, let me, let me just, let me, let me finish that yeah, story really yeah. quick. Cause like, I just want to like tie it back to like a previous point that, that we kind of talked about. Um, when I got out of the hospital, I finished my blood thinners and I'm getting back onto the road of recovery. They still haven't figured out what the cause of it was. Oh, I, that's the craziest thing is even to this day, I'm still having some tests done. I'm having blood tests done. I'm having other things done because I have no family history of, of cancers or health issues. Everyone in my family is incredibly healthy, you know, athletes, um, so they're still trying to figure it out. And as of right now, I'm on blood thinners for the rest of my life um, because they can't they can't figure it out. Albeit, you know, we catered my dosage. It's it's a one day oral, so it's not really impactful, but it is still something I deal with. I brush my teeth and, you know, my, my teeth bleed, especially when I floss. It's like, you know, you're on blood thinners, you know, not not to like, you know, minimize anybody else's stuff. I mean, there, there's other people who have way worse diseases or like long term things, but you know, for me, it was just something crazy. Cause like here now, even still, I don't know what it is. And this was the first thing that like put me down, you know, like took, took my lifestyle and my ability to do things away from me for a very long period of time. And to not know what caused that is still is incredibly unsettling and it irks me. Um, Did they tell you so, what the tissue was that, that was in the blockage? It ended up being a mixture of old clot and scar tissue, um, but they it's nothing they've never seen before. And, you know, when guys who have a collective, you know, whatever, 70 years in the industry are like looking at you and they're like, well, we've never seen this before. It's like, oh, OK, I'm glad it's me that like, you know, John Rizzo, <laughs> one of a kind. Yeah, uh, because the presentation site. I think it confused people because, you know, that was a common spot for uh, a tumor. So they're almost all of them. Like you could tell on Dr. Flanagan's face when I, I saw during that surgery, I looked at his face and, you know, he hit that blockage and he's like, oh, you know, he like he knew he thought or he thought he knew I had cancer. Like that's how it presented. And, you know, he thought for sure that's what it was going to be. And, you know, um, it's not the case yet and i hope it continues to not be the case but you know point being you know we 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 don't know where we're at and 
um, to, to connect with a question very long ago, you know, have you ever experienced this, this pain before or symptoms like this before? It all started to connect for me because really this was something that I guess was forming in me for a very long time. And I've always been an athlete, but particularly when I got into running, you know, I've had some performances now that I look back on that didn't make sense. You know, I performances where I went in very well trained, you know, the Mount Washington road race in New Hampshire is one of them. Um, you know, I went into that race in very good shape, came off an ultra, was training a lot, doing a lot of elevation, training particularly for that race. And the first few miles, I was like doing fantastic. I was, you know, near the front of the pack, felt very strong. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm gonna have a good day. And all of a sudden my legs stopped working. And I, I've never felt that feeling before, not like to the degree it did on that training run, but like they weren't turning over. And all of a sudden my pace dropped. I could breathe fine. I was barely sweating, Whoa. but like my legs weren't working. So it's, it's funny. Like, you, it, think, you think like you're struggling going uphill, like your breath is the first thing that goes. Right. So that's what concerned me. Cause like, obviously in the beginning when I'm going the pace I'm supposed to be, I'm breathing hard. But then like after a while where my legs, you know, felt like they're really heavy, I was like, what is happening? You know, this, this doesn't you know, even physiologically kind of leaning on my, my past medic experience. I'm like thinking about like, what, what is causing this? Like what, you know, but now it's all starting to make sense. Like I've had all these string of performances throughout my running, you know, life that, you know, I couldn't always explain. I always got to this point where like my body was doing something that I couldn't explain. And I always just leaned on, Hey, you're out of shape. You know, you're not in a good shape as you thought you were in. Um, so sorry, I went all the way back to that, but like, I wanted no, to I appreciate it. I made you a promise that I was going to answer that question. <laughs> so I, I, I really like set it in there that I was going to do it. Um, and I think you, you started, we started going somewhere and I'm sorry, I derailed it. I like wanted to close off that story. I think, I think you had asked me. Yeah. I, well, I wanted to get into the fact that like, I didn't want people to lose sight of the fact that like you had basically been completely inactive for six oh, months. Yeah. And yeah. that is for anybody, that's an astonishing amount of time for someone with what you had built up for your own physical capacity. That must have been a jarring experience to, um, and I don't want to skip too far ahead here, but like to finally get to the point where, like, okay, you can start moving around again to like look around, like to look down at your body, being like, whose body is this? Right. And, you know, I can't really comment to more so like how I looked. I think it like one of the things that really struck me, especially as I started tapering off the pain medication, um, is how my body felt. It was like it was the weirdest thing because you could imagine my body was was really getting by. Like these surgeons didn't understand how I was functioning because, mind you, I was running races with this partially developed blockage, eventually turned full blockage. And I was running, you know, a 5K, you know, six months ago. So like, it's, it's like, how are you even functioning? I was, my body was like making do with like 20% of like the venous return that it like should, should have been getting. So like it didn't, um, it didn't correlate, but now all of a sudden that blockage is gone. So like, it's, it's like an open highway, you know, and, and I could say my body, it, I could, I, I felt the difference and I, I can't explain the feeling, but like I'm, I'm moving around, I'm starting to get like acclimated to this new body, but like before all of this, 
like for example i would always be hot i was a heater like i could run in you know shirtless in the winter like crazy hot all the time and now like i am on the polar opposite side of the spectrum i'm a total reptile um and i know some of that is from the blood thinners but like my whole body runs differently. It was like I was taken out of my body and transplanted into a different body. Like my appetite, uh, you know, uh, my, my, I would say it, it almost like trickles down to like the metabolism is different. And obviously, cause like something very physiologic, you know, was, was altered. Um, but it's like getting used to this whole new body. It's weird. It's like putting on a new pair of shoes or something. Do you feel like in a weird way, and I'm, I'm this, this, I'm not searching for like a silver lining, but just like, hey, you know, your body adapted unbelievably to this situation. It almost sounds like an X-Men character in a way. And obviously, like, it's not like those veins went anywhere. They're still in you. So you have like all of a sudden your the main art, main vein is now accessible. You have this other network that kind of built around it um, in this weird like, you know, getting around <laughs> you know, traffic kind of situation, right? Like all of a sudden everyone's taking the side roads. And like, do you feel like it's like almost like you coming down from elevation in a way to all of a sudden you have like the full capacity of what you had previously plus these other kind of things that had opened up? Yeah, so I guess like over time, like the ones that absolutely aren't getting used, so like the veins that aren't supposed to be there do kind of, I guess, disintegrate or like shrink. Or, or do something weird. And, and I kind of felt that for like a few months after the surgery, like if I bent over like these shrinking veins, you could almost feel them because they went under my groin. Holy so like cow. when I would bend over or squat, it would feel like someone's like drawing a tight string underneath my leg. It was like the most unsettling feeling. And, and not only that, but I was getting used to like the stents you know, I, I had these three stents and like the first few months are critical for them to like, you know, become a part of you because essentially your veins grow over them. And then they're like now in, you know, in the walls of the vein, but like that whole process where they're getting settled that in conjunction with like the veins going underneath me, I, I had a lot of crazy stuff going on in my torso where like any given moment where I bent over or something, I was like immediately like, you know, I kind of like wanted to dry heave. You I was just like, had like uh, some loose twine yeah. hanging around in your abdomen. Yeah, right, right. Um, but I, you know, over time, I guess to, to kind of go back to your question, those ones that aren't being used kind of dissolved. But, you know, I do have some other veins that I guess supposedly connect. So I don't know if that makes me bionic or not. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't bar me from future races. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, um uh, I think just having what I was supposed to have all along, cause like that it could have, it could have been years, you know, or a lifetime, you know, the Dr. Winokur was surmising that it could have potentially been, cause I was, a, I was a, a prematurely born baby that they're seeing this now where they put in IVs in infants, the, uh, that location in the vein ends up scarring over time and could cause like a buildup of scar tissue. And he was thinking that this is almost something I could have been dealing with my whole life. Um, you know, so, you know, take someone who's late, very late twenties about to turn 30 in May and like be dealing with that situation the whole time. Then all of a sudden just, you know, completely altering the pathway. It, it, it 
it's a crazy feeling. And I, I still like, I would say I'm pretty adjusted to it now, but I just remember those, those first few months after the surgery, like, this is like, this is, this is bonkers. Once you were okayed to, um, to start physical activity again, you know, obviously we've already skipped the end of the page. We know that you're running and you're running very, very well. What was the decision matrix like for you and, and your wife and your loved ones about even getting involved in some of this high intensity uh, exercise and activity, considering not only what you've been through, but just the uncertainty around it, which you've already described? So I think it was almost. So running like. Running, it kind of, I would say, balances me Um Ever since I've started running, it's something that, you know, I've, I have a very busy life. I, we were, we were talking about this earlier and like running is kind of like a level set for me. Like I don't, I don't listen this, this drives my wife crazy, but I, I'll go on these like really long runs and I don't listen to music or podcasts or, or anything. And for me, like, it's almost like meditation. Like I'm out there running and I'm listening to my footsteps, but at the same time I'm thinking you know, it forces you to think. And I think about the things I have to do, the things I have to take care of, the problems I'm dealing with, you know, whether it's work, family. Um, and I could say like a lot of the solutions I find in my life, I find on those runs. Um, just because I'm thinking about it or I'm being in nature, it's a time to decompress. So like having that taken away, especially for a few months, my my wife, she could tell that, you know, I was in a dark place. Like I was, you know, running aside, I, I've always had some degree of activity, you know, ever, you know, I grew up an athlete, a family of athletes and, you know, to just have any kind of physical activity taken away from me, you know, I, I'm always doing stuff and I'm, I'm already high energy as it is. So like you can imagine me not running how egregiously annoying I get. Um, and I think it was more so like, you know, my wife and I making the connection. She saw, you know, in a serious note, like where I was, but like also I think she was getting aggravated because I'm 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 very uh uh high energy, uh slash annoying, slash, you know, could turn grumpy at any moment when I don't run. You know, running, like I said, became that level set for me. So I think, you know, I started with some walks. Uh, I'm into bird watching. Um, so like I would, you know, I'm into reading and bird watching and, and, you know, I would go on these walks and bird watch and like getting reconnected with nature was helping me. But then like, you know, I wanted to take the next step and I kind of talked to her about it. I'm like, you know, I think I could start, I could start running, you know, and, and she's like, okay, well, we have to ask Dr. Winokur and, so we went back and we asked and we pitched it. And I was going back to Dr. Winokur still like every two weeks, you know, he was checking, making sure the, the stents were doing what they're supposed to do. You know, he kept putting, uh, um, doing the ultrasound and <laughs> I'm going to go on a little tangent here. This is, this is pretty funny. So I have this weird thing where like, I don't like my belly button, um, which is incredibly weird. I, I don't like other people's belly buttons. I have this thing about belly buttons. I, I don't like them. I think they're weird. And they, when they do this ultrasound because of where the stent is, they run the ultrasound tool and the gel right over my belly button. So it's like this, it's my worst nightmare. Like it's this, this horrible 
thing I have to do every two weeks where that, you know, they, 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 they check my stents, but like I, I irrationally freak out over it because it involves my belly button and it gets full of the, the, the gel and stuff. And like my wife thinks I'm like a total, like, like psycho. She's like, <laughs> you know, why do you get so fired up about these appointments? I'm like, it's my belly button. You don't understand. Um, but, I. So we asked, we asked Dr. Winokur and we said, um, you know, can I start running? And he, he said, you know, start out slow um, because it's been, I think at this point it was, you know, April, May. I think we're getting into like July. Oh my. Yeah. So we're getting about, yeah. So it's, it's, it's been a while. The stents, you know, technically take, I think it's like six months um, to like fully get integrated. I'm, I'm, going off memory here so i may be completely wrong so hopefully doctors in the audience don't go like no it's this many months but you know so <laughs> sorry if i'm doing a disservice but uh so like we're like i guess what is that three months in and so you know he was saying that they're they're pretty set they're not going anywhere at this point um so just start slow so we i uh, we go to this park near us um you know across the street and <laughs> and we go to like jog a mile and i i think it ended up being like a a 12 minute mile and where i stopped like five times and then when i finished i was like that was absolutely terrible but at the same time you know when we finished and my my wife stopped her watch because like obviously she had to track that otherwise it doesn't count um shots fired yeah uh, yeah she's gonna kill me for that one um so but but when i finished like mind you that's the first time i've ran since november you know and i i i do not cry i'm not a crier but i burst into tears because like it was like you know this long saga this terrible nightmare like i i have a path and i ran and i didn't die you know, it's like this thing where like, you know, it really set in because like, not only was it the first thing that sit me on, sat me on my butt, but also like Dr. Flanagan, you know, was giving kudos to my wife who like forced me to go get the MRI. Cause had that not happened, like he said, he, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, that girl saved your life. He said, if you came in, if you came in two weeks later, there was a piece of that clot that was about to go a huge piece that was going to go embolize in your lungs. Like you would, you would have been toast. You would have been flat on the floor. And like, I am like so grateful, like going from that situation to like running that 12 minute mile, like just that whole thing, like made the full circle connection. I was like, Oh my God, you know, it's, it's like kind of over, like I'm still getting like the weird stuff put in my belly button. I'm still taking you know, blood thinners for life still have three stents in me, but like, it's kind of over, you know, and just having a path, knowing that I will be able to run, you know, I think just knowing that that was a future for me, um, was really like, it was really humbling. Well, let's talk about the future. So, you know, you just did an amazing thing. I mean, at 50 miles at any pace is remarkable. You came in third, you ran a little over eight hours, which is an, an incredible feat. So I'm guessing this isn't going to be the only race for you. I shouldn't say I'm guessing. I know it's not because your wife already told me. So what are the, what are, what else you got on deck? Cause this is really fun and exciting to hear. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I'm training right now. This, the 50 miler was part of a buildup for a hundred miler 
on my 30th birthday, um, which is at the end of May. So over Memorial Day weekend in Bryce Canyon. Um, so the 50, I had to run because it was like a requirement for this hundred, I guess, or something. So I had to like frenetically find a 50 miler that like worked and, and run it. And I was thankful to find the one that I did because I ended up loving it. But um, yeah, I would say that's that's like the main focus right now from a running standpoint. There are some things after that, like I, I think, unfortunately, the next weekend is uh, a charity event I was already signed up for. But essentially, I'm going to be riding on a spin cycle for like 24 hours. Um, oh, God. It's normally like a relay, but like. I, I wanted to try and like do 24 hours and, you know, it's, it's a wonderful event. So it, I'll just talk about this super quick. It's, um, it's called the rough ride and it's hosted by team foster and I think the events in Philadelphia, but basically it's a, it's a stationary bike relay where they raise funds to train and purchase service dogs for veterans. Uh, it's this wonderful organization. It's this huge gap that, you know, that's overlooked for veterans. There's a lot of care and a lot of stuff that the VA doesn't cover. And particularly with service dogs, which are a really huge tool, especially for people who are struggling. Like this organization is really cool. Um, so that's, that's something I'm doing the next weekend and I'm fundraising for. And then soon thereafter is the Mount Washington road race. Cause I have a bone to pick with the Mount Washington road race because like after that last performance where like I had half of the race go really well. And then I had that undercut from me. I want another crack at it. I want to see what I could do now, you know, with, with and my that's bionic. that's an epic race. People who don't know about that race, you're just going right up the service road, the Climbs Mount Washington. It's an epic race. It's a limited entry pool. It's uh, it's it's one hell of a race. And as a New Englander, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but a lot of people aren't because it, it is so small, but it's uh, it's legendary at the same time. It's it's big like for I know there's like a lot of popular mountain runners, Sage Canada and a few folks like they love that race. That's like something they always fit into their schedule. And it, it is it, like the White Mountains are it's a gorgeous mountain range. And like to get an opportunity to like run to the top of this mountain. And then like we, you know, the first time we did it, my wife and I then hiked, you know, uh, uh, you know, down and made it made a thing of it. And, you know, having an opportunity to run in that kind of environment is really cool. It is a hard race, though. It's it's hard. It It's 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 just like a thir 12, 13 percent grade like the whole time. And um it's 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 really it it is a neat experience but it, the, the the story of the sign up was really funny because you know the lottery is pretty competitive for it and i got in the first time the last time and this next time i'm like oh there's no way i'm getting in and i signed up kind of late so i kind of like threw my hat in i got the email and i was like I, i'm probably not gonna get in anyway but like i i don't like to like you know live with regrets you know i i I will not say YOLO on this podcast. Damn, just said it. Um, but I, Edit, you know, I, I threw editor, my, do your magic now. <laughs> I, I threw, a, I threw, a, I threw my uh, my hat in, and and like not a week later, like they're like, congratulations, you know, you got in. And I'm like, is it congratulations though? I don't, <laughs> I don't. It doesn't feel like congratulations. Um, no, but I am very fortunate. I got into the race again. So like, that's my main lineup for this year. I think. Uh, you know, the hundred miler being the, you know, the big, the big boy that, that, you know, the, the big experience that, that will be, that'll really push me. It's not nearly anything I've ever done before. 
Um, there's some traveling involved. Most of the course is at like seven to 9,000 feet. So there's elevation that's going to be thrown into the mix. So like, you know, seeing what my body could do, but like also taking into consideration elevation and everything, there are like a lot of variables with this race that I have to like figure out. Cause you know, we're, <laughs> it's, it's coming in like what, you know, a little over a month and like, I'm like, I have no that's idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so I hope this goes well. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I got going on this year. Man, you're just attacking it. This is a mess. This is amazing. I mean, shoot. From, this is this is like this is the uh, yeah. You know, if we want to get full Buzzfeed here, we could go full couch to hundred miler. I mean, this is <laughs> you're yeah, doing it. So I overcalibrated a little bit. Well, it, so like I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. Like first, like that's kind of my personality. Like with all my hobbies and everything, like I'm either I'm all the way in or I'm not in. Like, and I'm the same way with my training. Like I run a certain amount of mileage, you know, which is like relatively high compared to most people. And like, if I, if I, if I'm not able to fit it into my day and like my wife will sometimes say, well, why don't you run six miles or, or, or like, you know, or why don't you just run a few handful of miles on the treadmill? I'm like, I can't do that. You know, I, I, I'm either in or I'm out. So that's like my personality to begin with. But, um, I think it's really like the catalyst for taking on so much is that, this is really like because of this whole saga and like me being put on my butt, it like really like kind of shuttered my confidence a lot. I I think like would probably be the way to say that, um, you know, being humbled like that, you know, especially from a physical perspective, an arena I've never had any problem with, um, being humbled like that and get having that ability taken away from me that, that like a, like really helped me empathize with other people who don't have, you know, the, the, the gifts that, you know, you and I have, where we're able to go out and run and, you know, do stuff. There's, there's people who don't have that. So like, that was a huge like realization for me, like really empathizing with actually how hard that is. Um, but then also like, you know, now that I'm, I'm back, you know, relatively speaking, I need to find a way to prove to myself that I'm not broken, you know, because I felt broken after I was done, even after running that mile, even though I was crying, I was happy. I was moving. I still felt very broken. Um, you know, cause that was a place I've never been before. That's some place I never want to be again, you know, but like, what does that mean? Am I in a better place now or am I in a worse place? Am I ever going to be back to how I was? you know, what does this mean for me? And that's where kind of this whole saga started. Like, I don't even know when the idea came in my head. I was just like, um, I don't know if it was, I, it might've been Jamie, like we were sitting in bed, I think. And she was like, jokingly, I was like either talking about this or something. She's like, you need to sign up for a race again. And I'm like, you know, cause she's like, that's the only time you, you like consistently train and you know, you get after it. If you have a goal in mind and we're like laying there joking and she's like, Oh, how about this? And she shows me the Bryce Canyon. Cause like, I love Bryce Canyon. It's my favorite national park. And she's like looking at it. And then we look at the date and she's like, it's on your birthday. Oh man. And I'm like, I'm like, that's a sign, you know? And I, I signed up for it. And then like, I, and this was late at night and I woke up the next morning and like, I was like, what have I done? You know, like what, <laughs> what, what, what just happened? Um, 
but the 50 was a component of that. And we found that out after I'd already paid for the registration. So now like the next day I have to force myself to find a 50 miler. Um, so it was just like this really incredible journey um, that I felt like was almost like destined to happen. And, you know, I really hope it all works out. It, it's been a really cool adventure so far, even, you know, starting at the beginning of this year, because that's really when I started training again, like at a serious level or any kind of level. I mean, that it was really just the beginning of this year. Even even I would I would I would even further say that was probably more realistically like February was when I was like actually going getting after it. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just we'll see where it goes. It's amazing. It truly is amazing. You are amazing, John. And this story is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I, I don't even know. I'm not going to try to summarize it. It's just, it is what it is. And thank you so much for sharing the whole thing with us. It, it really is uh, a pleasure talking with you about it. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share. You know, I was kind of saying this earlier, like there's a lot of stories, interesting stories, like not even, you know, like mine, you know, there's a lot of people with really interesting stories. And I think it's cool, you know, that you provide an opportunity for people to share that. Well, who wouldn't like talking to you, my man? This was great. Thank you so much for sharing and good luck at your hundred miler. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I, I hope it works out. I guess maybe we could have a round two if I, if I live to tell the tale. <laughs> you better make that seagull, my man. You better yeah, make it. I'll make the seagull. Yeah. <laughs> John, thank you so much for coming on this show. I told you in the intro, this guy has a great, great story. In fact, I wish we got into more of the what's happened in the last, say, six months or so since he got back into running and what that training cycle was like. But ultimately, you know, there's we don't want to have, you know, this isn't a Joe Rogan podcast. We're not going to go on for hours and hours and hours. And the meat of the story is what I really wanted to get to. And that's exactly what John spoke about for the vast majority of the podcast. And that was the, that was the crux of the episode. Maybe we'll do a follow-up to talk about his actual training experience once he got healthy, because I think that's also going to be a really interesting story. But I think we hit the meat of it today, and I'm so glad that we did. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.